right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here alongside Anthony Pine of RT Sport Online. This week we're joined by former UCD Sheffield Wednesday and Shamrock Rovers midfielder Paul Curry and former Dundalk and St. Johnston striker David McMillan. We'll be looking back at the weekend's SSE or Tristy League action and also looking ahead to a big game in the Premier League between Manchester City and Arsenal, which will be probably de- decisive in terms of where the title goes. But I suppose, Anthony, where we will start off is in regard to Jack Byrne because he was in the news this week or last week should I say yeah he was he, he was subject to um, a couple of bids at least a couple of bids from Charlotte in the MLS and um, I mean it was an attractive offer there's no doubt about it like I, I, the reported figure was around 400k that they offered and I think essentially Raf, from Shamrock Rovers point of view like they will be looking to to make a real go at getting into the Europa League group stages that would be worth maybe in around €4 million Euro to them to get there. And obviously, Jack Byrne is integral to that. So for them, it's sort of simple match. You know, we can't lose a key midfielder. Or certainly they would have, I don't know, if Charlotte had to come back with something significantly larger than that sort to offer, maybe they, they might have uh, considered it a little more. But I think really that's what came down to it. I, I think the player, I think Jack Byrne understands that. Like he's out of contract uh, at the end of the current League of Ireland season. He could go in the winter. I mean, I, I think that that could happen. He's a past relationship with the the head coach, uh, the Charlotte head coach. I think he, he played under him at Manchester City, didn't he? The, the academy. So there's a yeah. relationship there. You know, we know that Jack is 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 a player who is like he's travelled around. He's played in different countries. He, he was in Cyprus before he came back to Rovers. He, he's played in in the Netherlands. Uh, the chance to play. I think the stadium, the Bank of America stadium that they play in is, is incredible. It's a fantastic arena. I think it's it's the home to the NFL team, isn't it, as well? That the Carolina Panthers, great league. You know, just, just a change, a different style, a different lifestyle. Uh, he's he's not quite 27, Jack. Like, he's still a young man, you know. He's still in his prime. And he's playing really well again. I, I think by his own admission, it was it was a disappointing season by his standards last last year. But um, we're sort of seeing the old Jack Byrne this year. He's, he's been excellent for Shamrock Rovers. Even throughout their tricky start, uh, he was playing well. So I think that's that's really it. In a nutshell, you know, it's it's just one of those things where Rovers have gone, look, you're too valuable to us. We just can't let you go, you know, for that. It's just not, what's the point? You know, we have aspirations of really having a go at Europe. Uh, he's going to be a big part of that. Um and that's it for now. That's it for now. And I, and I don't think there's any sulking or anything from Jack Byrne's point of view. I think he's just, it is what it is. But it, it may not be the last we hear. But I think maybe come the winter, uh, it might resurface. Yeah, for sure, because there has been interest before. Uh, now, in terms of the story, David Snade broke it last week, and uh, that was in the 42.e. And then in subsequently ahead of the weekend's matches, Stephen Bradley said of the Charlotte FC offer, it was brilliant, an incredible offer, the MLS, but you have to respect that Jack has a contract with the, with this club and this club as a board make decisions, and they made a decision under, understanding how important Jack is for us now. Um, I, myself and Connor Neville were talking to Jack on this podcast back in December 2021, and the Charlotte FC interest did come up at the time um, as Jack sort of uh, broached it. And as you said, it was in regard to a coach that he'd worked with at Manchester City, who is the head coach there, and it's Christian Lepancio. So we're just going to play this clip here, which is Jack Byrne talking to myself and Connor uh, back in late 2021 before we get the uh, thoughts of the lads. Much uh, behind, you know, before the Rovers' uh, move was confirmed, um, there was talk about Charlotte 
Irish FC and the MLS. It was just in the papers at the time. And uh, I think it was especially Christian Latanzio, the, the coach I think he would have worked with at City, was there. Was there any discussion there or was that just uh, paper talk, as one would describe it? Oh, it was like, I know Christian. I'd be in contact with Christian loads like you know since I since I left since I left Man City so um he's a he's a he's a good friend and and um you know he's obviously working over there and um it, they're a new franchise and and they've just been set up so look maybe maybe the timing wasn't wasn't great on that one and you know he'll know someday maybe it'll come around again and um but you know he's always been a great help to me in my career and himself and 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 Patrick were obviously me, me manager for you know a big part of me development and a big push behind me going to, to Holland that time so you know he knows the type of player I am he knows you know the environment that we, we, we would do well in um, very complimentary to Stephen the way Stephen's teams play uh, Stephen Bradley so um, you know it's it's a conversation that could come up again um, maybe in the future but you know, I hope he does well out there. And obviously, had a couple of offers. And I'm not going to say which, but you know, I think just at this moment in time, I see myself just playing here. I love the club. I love Shamrock Rovers. I love the coaching staff there. I love the players when I was there. I love the the feeling I got when I was there. So I just want a bit more of that back and and, and trying to kick on. Okay, so that was Jack Byrne on this podcast in December of 2021, and uh, as he noted, there that interest from Charlotte FC was something that might come up in the future. It ha- it now has, but three, um, three bids uh, rejected now and the transfer window on the MLS closes today. But um, Paul, in regards to what Shamrock Rovers have to weigh up, and I think Anthony touched on it there in terms of they have their ambitions this season of trying to get into the uh, European group stages uh, once again, and also... Jack Byrne's importance to that uh, but then you kind of balance that out with whatever money you can get back um, if he were to leave or if a bid were to be accepted there was a there was a fair bit to weigh, to weigh up there but it's clear that for Shamrock Rovers that uh, Byrne is an important cog uh, to their midfield Yeah listen I'm, I'm sure they they weighed it up Raf, and I'm sure there was conversations about what was going to be best for the club because I mean in Europe you can have a couple of bad draws and you can find yourselves out of competitions quite quickly and the pot of money that they got last year might not be available to them this year. And uh, on the flip side, you have, I guess, a guaranteed value on, on Jack's transfer free if he was to move. So I'm sure it wasn't an easy one. Um, typically, Shamrock Rovers have held out for the correct valuation of their players, and they just probably didn't feel as if they were they were seeing that with Jack this time around. And like Anthony has mentioned previously, he is absolutely pivotal, particularly in Europe, if you think about those games and you really need somebody to be able to hang on to the ball and just kill a bit of pressure or create a moment of magic. And Jack is absolutely that for Shamrock Rovers. Um, I think we've seen glimpses of him getting back towards what we saw before he moved to Cyprus last year was obviously hampered with injuries. And you would just hope that he stays injury free, that he kicks on and he kind of gets back towards those levels because the age profile profile of Jack, he should be coming in towards the sort of prime of his career now over the next three, four years. And it would be great if he could stay at Shamrock Rovers, but if he stays injury-free and that head coach is still there um, come the end of the season, I mean, Jack is in a fantastic position with regards to where he wants to take his career. Shamrock Rovers has been brilliant to him and help him rebuild and get back to really high levels, but there is a feeling that with six months left on his contract, if he is to kind of kick on again and find those levels, it's very hard to see how he's going to be staying in this league. 
Yeah, and David, I suppose for yourself, um, I guess you had this experience at, towards the end of 2017 when you when you signed for St. Johnston uh, from Dundalk. And like, what kind of things would you have been weighing up at the time in terms of, is this the right move and the right time? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's seen as, for me personally, it was sort of a, a last opportunity at, at the age that I was at. But for Jack, it's interesting because obviously he's had the move to Cyprus and it probably hasn't worked out as well as he would have liked. But um, I think he's spoken previously about how happy he is when he's at home, you know, around family and, and playing for Shamrock Rovers. So it's interesting that, you know, he was obviously willing to accept the club. We're going to turn this offer down and he was going to stay till November. And um doesn't appear that he put any push on, on Shamrock Rovers to, to let him go. So uh, I think he's been very respectful to Rovers and Rovers have obviously made their own decision in terms of um, this is the right one for them and trying to get through rounds in Europe, as you spoke about. And um, yeah, it seems that... Rovers are taking a little bit of a risk there, but probably the right decision, I think, considering the money that they've made in terms of other transfers that they've done and obviously their European run last year, that they don't feel in a position that they have to sell. Yeah, and Shamrock Rovers are going to be our next live match on RT, but it's next Monday and it's away at Derry City. So that is a 7.15pm uh, start on that one. But uh, that, yeah, as I said, next Monday. This, fr- this Friday just passed anyway. Um, the There were... Quite a few interesting results in the uh, Premier Division, which uh, saw Derry City winning 3-1 at Cork City. Colin Whelan and uh, Michael Duffy getting a couple of those uh, goals in the second half. And then Bohemians at the top still beating Drody United 2-0 away from home. Shells and Dundalk, which was the live TV game. And of course, David uh, watched you on the punditry, of course, as well. Um, it was one all. Quite a lot happened. We'll probably start on that. Um, St. Pat's then uh, were defeated 2-0 at home to Shamrock Rovers at Richmond Park and then on Saturday Sligo Rovers um, saw UCD 3-1 Maximata scoring again in that and that's uh, 8 for the season now but uh, let's start on Shells and Dundalk's one-all draw and let's listen to the Shelburne goalkeeper Connor Carnes, who was player of the match Yes, and Conor Kearns of Shelburne is the SSE Electricity Player of the Match. Leanne Shield is the marketing manager of uh, SSE Electricity here to give you your award. Yeah, thank you very much. And congratulations indeed, because uh, what a game you had, Conor. I mean, the penalty save is obviously one, but I think the save just before half time, when you, you know, kept you in, in the game and made it a different half time team talk. Yeah, it's just one of them. I think the penalty is what it is. I played it with Robbie before, so I kind of sort of know him. I try to psych him out, and sometimes you save them, sometimes you don't. Again, before half time, it's just a case of the old cliche of working hard at getting back up off the ground as quick as you can. And paid off anyway, got us in, level at the break. And to be honest, I think we're unfortunate not to get the three points in the end, but a point with 10 men for that long is it's a decent result. And the one at the end, then uh, Ryan Tullock, who unfortunately beat you once from your point of view, but then to save from him to, and saving you a point. Yeah, again, it's just that thing we work on all the time. Skins, the goalkeeper coach here, and Scotty, our, our backup keeper here, is two of them push, us, push each other so hard, working to get across the goal as fast as I can. And thankfully today I was able to keep it out. I think Rayhan has a couple against me already this season, so I didn't want him getting another one. All right, that is Connor Cairns, the uh, Shelburne goalkeeper. And Dave McMillan, as I said, you were on uh, the TV coverage on uh, Friday night and probably half of what you had to talk about involved refereeing decisions. So we might just review some of uh, what went on. So uh, just want to get your thoughts on the two penalty incidents. So the one for Shells in the second half, but also the one for Dundalk towards the start of the game, which later led on to the knock-on effect of Shane Farrell's red card. Um, and then also the uh, disallowed goal for Shelburne, which uh, involved uh, Nathan Shepherd. Um, well, he was clutching his face afterwards. Whether uh, <laughs> whether Paddy Barrett touched him or not in that particular area, I'm, uh, that uh, was not clear on uh, on the video. But just your thoughts on the refereeing decisions overall in that match? 
Yeah, it was definitely a, a lively first half. Um, first time doing punditry, I was a bit worried for Michelle's and Dawk might finish nil-nil, but within 10 or 15 minutes, there was enough drama to fill 90 minutes. But yeah, Tullock had done brilliantly for the first penalty, you know, skipped by Andy Quinn and um, Andy just dangled a leg. From from my view, I actually thought he might have got a nick on the ball. Really hard to actually see on the on the video um, whether he did or not. And certainly can't blame the referee, you know, he, he's tripped Tullock and um, where he's got to touch the ball on the not or touch of the ball or not, he, he's made Damian McGrath make a decision, and um, you know it's a it's a penalty, and I think Duff alluded to it in his interview after. It's just stupidity, really, from Shane Farrell to to throw a hand at Key Ward, and um, you know right in front of the referee as well. So so he has no um, he's can only make one decision, and and it's a red card for Farrell. And so yeah, I thought the penalty was. Yeah, look, you can't blame the referee for giving it, whether Andy Quinn got a slight nick on the ball or not. It was clumsy. And um, yeah, the, the other penalty then for, for, I think it was Evan Caffrey and Tullock who gave it away this time. Uh, I think Caffrey's just trying to be clever, you know, put his body into it. And um, again, I probably don't think it's a penalty, but as soon as you go touch tight like that, you give the referee a decision to make. And it's probably a bit naive from Tullock to, to even go near Caffrey in the box. Just let him go. He's, he's not in a dangerous position. He's kind of coming away from goal. So two penalties that were touch and go, but ultimately you can't blame the referee for giving either of them. Um, obviously, Benson's brilliantly saved by Connor Cairns, a really strong arm. You know, he doesn't go down too early. He's wary. Robbie might go down the middle. He doesn't want to commit himself too much and a really strong arm to make the save. Um, the Paddy Barrett one then was... Yeah, look, I, I said I thought it was a free out just purely because Shepard had two horns on the ball, I think just about before uh, Paddy Barrett makes contact with him. So I think, again, Damien McGrath makes the right decision there. Uh, I know Shepard goes down holding his head. I did question that after the game, but a few of the uh, players and staff, I, I think he actually said he got a bit of mud in his eye. So um, I don't think it was necessary play acting, but certainly Paddy didn't make contact with his head and he'll feel aggrieved. Um, you know, as a striker, I'd have felt aggrieved if it was given against me if I didn't get the goal. But I think, in fairness to the referee, I think it's probably just about the right call. Yeah, and Paul, I suppose one of the aspects in terms of Shelburne is their work in transition, and it was evident against Shamrock Rovers the week before, and um, again um, against Dundalk, how, just how lethal they are on the break, especially where Jack Moylan and Maddie Smith sort of combine. And um, I think for people who maybe know Damien Duff's history and having played for Jose Mourinho's Chelsea during a time where um, Jose really valued attacking transition. There's an element of it in their style of play, at least visible in the last couple of weeks. There certainly is. I mean, to go that long with 10 men requires a hell of a lot of concentration, discipline and organisation. And they show probably all of those three traits over the course of that, that kind of period of time when they had a man less. And I thought they were superb, Raph. I really did. I thought particularly Jack Moyle in the, in the last number of weeks and since the start of the season, his game has gone up a level. He always has has had that kind of rare ability to receive the ball and take people on. But I think his decision-making is getting better as, as weeks go by. He's well capable of holding the ball up, turning and taking the game to an opposition. We saw that against Shamrock Rovers. He was brilliant for Matty Smith's goal. And I thought he was brilliant the other night against Dundalk again. I guess the one thing that you would like to see Jack continue is, is scoring goals and creating goals. And if he can do that, I mean, he's going to be one hell of a player. He's still very young. And to lead the line like that 
Um, in a team that tends to play with a bit of a low block, it's not an easy job. Dave be able to tell you that, but he does it extremely, extremely well. He's vitally important. I think we mentioned last time I was on, like the fact that they haven't got Sean Boyd as well. He's very much filling those boots. And if they can get Sean back fit, himself and Jack Moylan be a really good combination, particularly if you can play somebody like Maddie Smith out wide as well. Um, but for, for Shells, I, I'm sure they'll be disappointed that they didn't hang on. But to go that period of time against a team like Dundalk um, and some of the players and quality that they have, I, I mean, they'll be absolutely delighted with the performance. And if they can continue to progress the likes of Moylan and Keeley, uh, Shells, will, Shells will be okay, Raph. Just to add to that as well, like uh, uh, the Derry game, where they lost to Talca 1-0 against Derry. They went down to 10 men. Barrett got sent off early in the second half. And they were excellent with 10 men that night. You know, they're one of these teams that are kind of well-equipped to play with a man less because of the way Damien Duff has them set up. And as, as Paul and, and David said, they were they were excellent. Now, you could look at Dundalk and sort of say there was large chunks of the game where it, it, you couldn't tell they'd a man less. You know, which is you know a compliment obviously to Shelburne, but but you'd be looking at them dogs saying they should have done more. They Tullock, they seem quite reliant on Tullock to pull a rabbit out of the hat a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, fair, fair play to Shelburne. It's it's not the first time it's said this season where they come down to ten men and they don't really miss a beat. You know, they're very well drilled. They know what they're doing, and um, they were unlucky not to take the win. They were unlucky not to hold on. Yeah, and just on that, David, just in regards to as Anthony said there, I mean Tullock. Uh, did pull a rabbit out of the hat in the end to to rescue a point and Dundalk there were a lot of there were a lot of goal mouth scrambles and maybe they might have got a bit luckier uh, at certain instances but there it's still the form is and they're still stuttering a little bit so what do you make of where they're at right now um, and I suppose with the added um, effective injuries which would have seen Robbie Benson starting at left back as well yeah the injuries are obviously a big talking point for them but <clears throat> they still. The way the game went, be they actually started the game really brightly, even 11 v 11, they created a couple of opportunities. And then when you're against 10 men for 80 minutes, there's no doubt you, you have to go on and win the game. Um, and they'll be hugely disappointed. I think Shells and Fairness, probably over the course of the game, they deserved at least one goal. They created more than enough opportunities on the break. Um, you know, Paul's mentioned how good Moylan was. You know, Maddie Smith was alive, where probably should have scored one or two. Um, for Dundalk, just frustration. Look, I looked back at the stats. I think they had nearly 80% of the ball. They did dominate that sense, but it was scrappy chances. It was nothing really, really clear cut. I think Robbie Benson hit the post and Tullock followed up and just narrowly put it wide. But they weren't peppering Connor Current either, you know, and I think that'll be the frustration for them. They're just probably not scoring enough goals at the moment. And uh, yeah, to play 80 minutes against 10 men and not come away with three points, particularly on the run that they've been on with that opportunity, they'll be, they'll be really disappointed. Yeah, and obviously with a with a loud derby coming up now, you've played against uh, Drada United both home and away, so you, I suppose you know what the you know what that fixture means, I suppose to both clubs, but also just how difficult these derby uh, fixtures are like. So it's a tricky one for them, especially even though Drada United have, have hit a little bit of a speed bump in the last uh, couple of weeks and maybe dropped a few points, but they're still they're still they're one of those teams that uh, are awkward for uh, for opponents. Yeah, I think Dundalk obviously won there in in, in Drada earlier in the season, but probably were lucky that night to get three points. You know, Drada were very, very good. And um, again, I think reports that Drada were very, very unlucky against Bohemians were very strong second half, uh, created a number of opportunities and just, again, probably just lacking goals or, or lacking a front man who's uh, just chipping away with it, with with goals. And um, 
yeah, loud derby. It's it's not going to be an easy night for Dundalk. Um, still a lot of players out. I'm not sure they'll have anyone return. Maybe maybe Pat Hoban will 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 um will be in the starting eleven this time around. But other than that, I'm not sure they'll have many others back. So they'll still be down numbers, and they've just got to try and get themselves going again. They just need to pull a win from somewhere to kind of stop the rot. And um and I think you know this league is still so tight. If anybody goes with three or four wins on the bounce, you know you'll fly back up the table. So um they're no by no means you know dead and buried at this early stage there's still a lot of games to play but a couple of wins would really make a huge difference yeah and uh, I think that that would make a difference for Cork City as well Paul I mean they've just kind of they sort of hit um, the skids a little bit in terms of like they're in a little bit of a rut now and it's a slight run of defeats and they just find themselves a bit off the pace of some of those sides above including Drada yeah I, I think the difference, Raph, between Cork at the beginning of the season when they played Bowes and their performance over the last couple of weeks, um, you can see the difference and you can see the progression in their play. I think they looked very kind of raw and almost a bit naive in, in some of the, the passages of play when they played Bowes that night. But I think they've come on a hell of a loss. I mean, you only have to look at the results at home against Dundalk. And if you look back on the clips from the other night, they had chances against Derry. I mean, Brian Myers had to pull off two or three really good saves. I think one was from Keating, another one was Coffey. And you just feel that when you're playing a team with, with Derry's quality, you're probably not going to get a huge amount of chances. And when they do come your way, you really do need to take them. And bar, you know, a, a goal to, to bring them back into the game, you felt like they might have been able to, to cling on to Derry. Um, but I'm not sure Colin Healy would be too worried. I think if they produce performances like they did the other night, I think they'll be okay. The results against the likes of Derry and Shamrock Rovers are probably not going to be the ones that will keep them in the division. It will be certainly the... The results against UCD and uh, and Drogheda in particular. I mean, the draw against UCD will, will certainly have frustrated them. Or sorry, the defeat against UCD would have frustrated Colin Healy. Um, and they are certainly kind of games that you'd like to see them do a little better in. But I can see the progression in their play. They're a young squad. You're, you can expect a bit of inconsistency. But hanging on to the likes of Drogheda is going to be vitally important. I said it the last time on, they'll be looking at their results every Friday night and seeing how close they are to Drogheda to, to try to steer clear of that playoff base. But I think this squad as a whole, I, I think they've done well, Raph. Um, I think it was always going to be a slow start, and I think they'll grow into the season. Yeah, and David, on the other side of that result, of course, Derry City winning 3-1 at Turner's Cross. But I think the significant thing is the return uh, from injury of the likes of Michael Duffy. His, that's only his uh, second game of the season now. He would have played in the President's Cup, but has been out with a calf injury since then. Um, and then also Colin Whelan as well, who came on as a sub and for what is actually his uh, belated uh, Derry City debut and he scores as well. So it's uh, now granted this was a result that came away from home where they've generally been good, but it's uh, at least a positive sign for them heading into uh, this kind of this weekend where there's a, there's a couple of games, including Shamrock Rovers next Monday. Yeah, I think um, I covered the game against Dundalk last week. Um, it was two two draw and you know Derry were very good for most parts of that game and uh, I know Higgins was very disappointed not to come away with the win on that night and I think it was important for them to obviously go and win and turn us across again they've been on a run of uh, a bit of a winless run so but with Duffy back you know Colin Whelan coming on did really well in the build-up for his goal slipping Ryan Graydon through and then when the rebound came to him you know finished it like a man who's been banging in goals for the last year not someone who's been on a physio bed so great to see him back and I think that front three, the potential of that front three of, of Duffy, Wheel and Graydon, you know, that's a really exciting one. And I'm sure Higgins will be praying he can get those three out on the pitch together um, without any more injuries. Again, they've been 
quite hit hit quite badly by injury. So it was a big win just to get again to kind of stop the rot they've been on. You know, they've they've allowed Shamrock Rovers get closer to them over the last kind of month or so with the poor runner poor runner results and and they'll be trying to now kick on again with with lads coming back. You know, obviously still Mark Connolly, Cameron Dummigan to come back into it and um yeah, they're starting to look stronger and stronger with a real good squad there. Yeah, and Paul, on the other side of it, uh, at the top of the table, um, Bohemian still five points clear, and uh, it was a good win at Drada in terms of the picking up a result in a place that is quite difficult to go to, and against a team that is, as I said earlier, um, awkward to play against. But I guess for them now, it's to carry that form into their their home games, and I mean they had a couple of uh, iffy results uh, at Dalymount Park the last couple of weeks, um, which had been sort of mitigated by the fact that they were still doing quite well away from home. Yeah, I was I was at the game against Pats and they were probably a little off their levels that night. Um, the, the sending off obviously didn't help, but I even thought in the first kind of 30 minutes they were a little off their their usual self. And I'm sure they were absolutely delighted to to go to Drahad and win because we've seen other teams go there and struggle. Um, and I'm sure that irrespective of what the performance was was going to be like, I'm sure Declan Devine was just praying that they go there and get three points. I, I thought the the goal in, in particular, I thought Connolly and Clark have linked up quite well, even to just create the first opening. And then Paddy Kirk has, has done well to get it on his weaker side and he's finished off quite well. But they, they, they did well. Um, I'm sure Declan Devine would be absolutely delighted with the clean sheets. I'm, I'm still not entirely sure about the the back four um it's it's obviously a bit of a new pairing between the two center halves uh Rakowski and Novak and I think there's probably a times where you might still have a couple of question marks over the two of them now it's still early and, and they've done well and um, thus far but there's been times particularly I think when they went up against Rory Gaffney where you saw maybe slight question marks over the two of them but James Talbot, to be fair to him, dealt really well with, with anything that came in. Drahada really pushed between Marky and, and Dale Rooney. Created a couple of chances. It was obviously that Ryan Brennan one where you would expect Ryan, with his experience, maybe just take a little touch and, and test the keeper a little more. But Bowes did well, stayed in the game. And it was a bad mistake from, from Colin McKay for, for the second goal. But I'm sure Declan Devine won't care. And Bowes be absolutely delighted with, with that result. And I think what we've seen in recent weeks... Um, is that Bowes have a bit of strength and depth there. I think James Clark has done really well since he's come in. He was excellent against St. Pat's when he came on, when they were down to 10 men. I thought he was brilliant towards the tail end of last season as well. He was good against Drogheda the other night. So they've got a couple of options there in the final third. Um, the two centre-halves, I'd be interested to see how that kind of progresses over the season, whether or not they've got enough protection there. But if Bowes can continue, Raph, to beat, say, the teams in the lower half of the division keep a nice little gap between themselves um, Derry and Shamrock Rovers and I mean Bose fans could not have wished for, for a better first round of fixtures well, After that Paul like, it's, a, it's a simple it's an obvious thing to say but they haven't had two bad results in a row I don't think like they lost to Shamrock Rovers and then they went up and they bet Derry they lost to St. Pat's they went to Drada, uh, which is a hard place to go like Drada have been good this year I, I think their points total probably doesn't reflect how, how good they've been they've, they've been every single game they're in it, you know, they're really in the game. They just, McCabe has, has had a couple of, unfortunately, cost the errors that's killing them. And as, as David alluded to earlier, they're lacking someone up top, you know, just to, just someone to chip away with goals. Like they're, they're often in games and on top and they end up losing or they're, they're coming away thinking they should have won. But like that's one of them where Bowles didn't really play great down there at Weaver's Park. But you're coming out 
Declan Ryan, I think, said after the match, you know, it's an ugly win, nothing wrong with that, we'll take that. And it's just that thing of, it just bodes well for the rest of the season. Like, in terms of sustaining a title challenge, I'm not sure. But if you're looking at a top three finish, getting into Europe, like, it's it definitely bodes well, you know, because it's sometimes you get bad, like, they, they lost in the derby against Shamrock Rovers, that can bu- burst the bubble. You know, there was all this momentum and, and hype around them. But they it didn't. You know, they bounced back. And they did the same again on Friday night. So it just it just bodes well for them, you know, to, to keep it going this year and, and have a have a strong year. A top three finish for bowls this year is I mean, I think any bowls fan would have taken that at the start of the season. Yeah, certainly, David. I mean, when when I think when we came into it and when you're looking at last season and then the continuous turnover at Daily Mount Park, I mean, where they are now, it's uh it's pretty miraculous in a way. Yeah, even that. Well, back to the first game where they beat Cork and Decky Devine's interview afterwards and uh, you know he knew how important that good start was and uh, you could see his passion you could see how determined he is to do well with Bohemians and I think that drive that he has is he's kind of his team are showing that if you like um, but I think they've got a, a good squad there now you know Paul alludes I think James Clark has done very very well I'm surprised he hasn't actually featured more in the early parts of the season but again that probably just shows how well Ali Coote's done in the 10 and other good options, obviously Flores was missing the other night, Adam McDonnell, Buckley, James McManus is doing very well. Like they've really good options in the field. Um, so yeah, I've seen them a couple of times. I don't think they've they've set the world alight even, uh, but they're just, you know, getting some really, really good results, you know, winning away in Sligo, winning away again in Drada, um, winning away in Derry, like they've picked up some really, really good results. And um obviously Decky Devine will be hoping that can continue. I, I listened to Gary Cronin's interview afterwards. He said, look, we weren't good in the second half. You know, he wasn't too happy about it, but in the end, didn't care. Three points was all that really mattered on the night. Yeah, and Paul, for Shamrock Rovers then, they're within six points of balls at the moment after winning at Pats. Um, in terms of the, the winning and losing of this game, um, what what made the difference? I mean, St. Pats have been in quite good form over the last few weeks and Shamrock Rovers obviously had been dented with a draw against Shelburne the previous week so uh, what made the difference uh, this time around? I think they're starting to take a, a bit better Shamrock Rovers I know there's been a, a quiet confidence amongst the squad and management that performance has been good and, and maybe results haven't matched that but I think this was a case whereby they put the performance and the result together on Friday night I thought they were really good Raph, I like that that sort of box setup that they played with the other night where they had Gary O'Neill, they had Poom, and then they played Burke and Jack Byrne. I think at times when Dylan Watts plays in there, it can become a bit too crowded in the final third. Um, Burke, Byrne and Watts can be very similar and it, it maybe kind of eats up space for one another and maybe just crowds that final third and, and maybe doesn't become as fluid. I think when you play with two sitters, whether it be Poom or Tell, along with Gary O'Neill, I think it, it bodes really well and it leaves nice spaces. And if you th- if you look to the first goal, there is maybe a bit of space. It's a transition of, of play whereby Lee Grace picks up the ball. Johnny Kenny peels off like a real good number nine, finds him in, in that pocket and he finishes well. And if you can start to maybe pair those combinations, they've got so much quality in the final third that they're going to create chances. Um, and I, I think they've been really good in the last couple of weeks, Raph. I think if, if you look at the new players that they've brought in, even the likes of Trevor Clark and Johnny Kenny, they're starting to find their feet. And once they find their feet, you would have managed that they will, that they will kick on from there. The second goal, you can't really do much about. You could maybe claim that Jay McCallum should have taken Trevor Clark down, but it's just a moment of magic and a superb strike from Trevor um, to put them 2-0 up. And once they went two ahead, I don't think Pats were, were ever going to catch them. 
I think kind of the last real positive for for Shamrock Rovers and somebody who's really key to to their back three is, is Pico Lopez. He played the the other night. Probably no coincidence that he played and they kept a clean sheet. And he is absolutely fundamental to how they play, just with regards to his leadership, his organization of, of the other two center halves and the two wing backs. He seems to do that best out of a lot of them. And to have him back in there to keep a clean sheet, I'm sure Stephen Bradley be absolutely delighted. They're going into some tough games. They have to use the squad, but they they certainly have the options there and they've got the quality all across the pitch to, to swap players in and out. Yeah, and in regards to Johnny Kenny, David, I mean, as a striker, when you look at him, and obviously he has an adaptation process to come into a Shamrock Rovers team that probably played a system he, he's not particularly used to. What have you made of uh, how he's slotted in so far? Obviously, great technique for the for the goal he scored um, on Friday night. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, they've had Gaffney and Green there for a couple of years, both probably strikers who are more inclined to come towards the ball, very good with their back to goal, good at linking it up. Johnny Kenny's probably a different type of player, more wants to stretch teams, get in behind. Um, I saw him obviously up in Oriel a couple of weeks ago and he, he did exactly that. You know, he tests the back four. It's not, you know, for, for a defender, if the play is always in front of you, I think you're pretty happy, you know, but Johnny Kenny's always stretching you in behind and, and making you think and making you run backwards, which is a kind of a defender's nightmare. And uh, his goal the other night probably epitomised that, you know, it's, you know, it's a good ball from Lee Grace. Pats are probably caught a little bit too high up the pitch. You know, Anto Bresen's trying to get forward, thinking Pats are on the break. All of a sudden, Johnny Kenny's in behind and he does well. Just another striker might take a touch backwards there. He lets it come across him and, and fires it in from the edge of the box. A really, really good finish. And on the night, he probably could have had a couple of more. You know, one brilliant save from, from Dean Linus just to, to keep him out. And um, he had another one he just hooked wide. So I think he'll get a lot of goals. But it's interesting to see he's going to have to adapt his game a little bit because when he played with Sligo, probably less of the ball than, than Shamrock Rovers will have. So um, you can be frustrated as a number nine if your team has a lot of the ball and you can't find gaps if, if, if defences are sitting in tight against you. So it'd be interesting to see how de- he develops. I think as a young man, um, he's going to have to kind of improve his build-up play as much as he's so good going in behind. But that's something that will probably um, stand to him in the long term over his career because there's no doubt he'll get goals and he can create opportunities for himself. But to keep improving as a player and um, as such a young man. Yeah, and uh, Max Matter in terms of getting goals, he's still ticking away with Sligo Rovers at the moment, David. I mean, that's up uh, eight for the season so far. It's probably made the biggest difference for them and what I think as we've spoken about previously has been an inconsistent enough start to the season. In terms of his a- attacking characteristics and what he's brought to the party this season uh, in comparison to his role um, for them last season, um, what is it that uh, what is it that sort of gives him a bit of an edge um, in, within that team? I think he impressed me last season, even even uh, although he was in and out a little bit. Obviously, Aidan Keane was the one who, you know, couldn't stop scoring, and that meant Mattis' opportunities were were probably often limited. But uh, this year, he's just been a steady presence. You know, he's a, a big kind of target man player, and his, even his goal the other night, he looks like he's a foot above everybody else heading it into the back of the net. And again, he was a threat throughout tonight. Probably could have and should have had one or two more. So. Look, he's eight goals in, in 11 games, I think it is. That's an incredible start to the season. And he's already over the, the number of goals he got last year. He's obviously just recently been capped for New Zealand. So things are going very, very well for him. He seems very settled in Sligo. So a lot of people would have talked, obviously, about Keane leaving and what a big blow that was to Sligo. But there's no doubt that, that Matt is filling that void and, and he's done brilliantly. 
Yeah, and uh, speaking of goals as well, uh, Ronan Coughlin for uh, Waterford uh, <laughs> made the difference against that lone town. Uh, Waterford winning 4-3 to continue their recent resurgence and Coughlin getting uh, all four goals for them. Uh, Cove Ramblers and Treaty United drew 1-1 and uh, Finn Harps starting to uh, pick up a few points now in the first division and it's a 1-0 win away to Wexford and Galway United completely unstoppable at the moment now uh, still like winning every single game 4-1 win at Kerry and then on uh, Saturday night Longford and Bray Wanderers drew uh, one all but uh, Paul in terms of the in terms of the first division picture not much changes really there I mean Galway still uh, you know racing racing clear of Waterford and then sort of the the mix at the bottom in the sort of bottom half at Longford Town seem to have struggled to really get going and same with Treaty United. Yeah, you can you can nearly split that division into three, can't you? It's it's really a, a two-horse race now between between Galway and Waterford and the sprint has already already begun. And I'm sure the results between one another are gonna gonna be pivotal for for both of their kind of seasons and how it pans out. I mean Keith Long has has done a great job since he's gone in there. I'm sure they weren't too pleased with the result the last the other night, given given how they kind of started the game, maybe how they finished it, but there is, I'm sure, confidence amongst that squad that if they can kind of continue on on current form, that they can catch Galway if if the results against one another can be good, and then you've kind of got that chasing pack raft for for those playoff places, and then you've kind of got the the bottom three between Longford, Treaty, and Kerry, which it seems like it's it's going to be a bit of a slog this season for them, but um, I guess. Naturally enough, you kind of get drawn towards the top top of the league, and it'll be really interesting to see how those two um, fight it out. Yeah, and in the women's Premier Division, Athlone Town beat uh, Cork City 2-0, Shamrock Rovers beat Bohemians 4-0, and uh, P-Mount defeated Wexford 2-1 with Karen Duggan scoring the winner there. Treaty United and DLR Waves drew nil all, and Galway United uh, beat Sligo Rovers 2-1. Um, Anthony, in regards to the Women's Premier Division now, and when we're thinking about the international picture as well, obviously you were covering the, uh, the two games against uh, the USA where there were um, defeats, but creditable enough performances uh, in both. I think it's interesting enough, Savannah McCarthy's now been back for uh, Shamrock Rovers for the last couple of weeks and she would have been a fixture within the Ireland team last year up until she suffered her uh, ACL injury and I mean there's a there's a clutch of players that are playing in the Premier Division women's Premier Division who would be hopeful of getting into the World Cup squad but I imagine Savannah McCarthy if she can hit the ground running now she's a good chance of being among that contingent um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not so sure, Raf. To be honest, uh, mainly because of the emergence of Eva Mannion. You know, she she's been she looks like she's going to start uh, against Australia and Sydney now. At the moment, she started the last three Ireland matches and uh, or the two the first USA match and against China. But um, I think the sense is that she's already done enough to get into that back line. I think it'd be very difficult for Savannah at this stage. You know, after being out for a year, over a year, it's it is a big ask for. Um, and I think she probably realizes that you never know. Um, Nifai is also only coming back from from injury at Liverpool as well, so that you know that there, there could possibly be an opening there. But it's just it's a twenty three player squad, and three of them are going to be goalkeepers, so it's extremely competitive. Um, but there are other players like Taro Hanlon at P Mount has been has been excellent, a young player at P Mount United, and she made her debut against the USA in the second match uh, in in St Louis. Obviously, you know the likes of Anya Gorman. Um, there, there's a couple, but uh, it's just it's it's really difficult for anybody like 
Okay. Uh, Savannah, who's been out for so long at this point, it's it's a really big ask. You know, it's it's just the way it is. You know, the, the train never stops. Um, but you know that that the the title race itself, I think I always talk about like the last couple of years in the women's Premier Division. It's, it's so tight and competitive. Like it's gone to the wire. It's gone to the last game, the last two years, and it wouldn't surprise me if it happened again. And one of the things that's happened is the introduction of Shamrock Rovers has has really. Uh, galvanize the whole league because they kind of come in and ruffled feathers and that they they picked off some of the best players around the division. Um, I thought they might need a couple of months to fully gel. Doesn't look like it. You know, they've got a really good coach in Collie O'Neill. And fairness, like it's not like they brought in foreign recruits. They brought in experienced players from the league who know the league, like Anya O'Gorman and Stephanie Roach and Jess Gargan and uh, some, some excellent footballers. But um, Pmount are one of the clubs who've responded to it very positively, and they currently are top of the table. Uh, Karen Duggan has been excellent for them. Tara O'Hannon, who I referenced, uh, Sive Doyle, that they've been really good. So, um, there's an interesting few months coming up in that division. I, I would bet on it going right down to the wire again because there's Athlone Town at a slow start, but they're starting to come back. Um, Galway, Galway, Galway are doing are going yeah. well. So, so it's it's good. It's a, it's a it's an entertaining title race always. Um, and, you know, Shamrock Rovers just add another dimension to that. But they, they, I mean, it's, they've been excellent. And it's kind of ominous that they've started so well because you think they're only going to get better, you know, as, as they gel more and, and Collie sort of gets, really whips them into shape over the next few months. But we'll see. Yeah. And uh, before we turn our attentions to Manchester City against Arsenal, which is happening on Wednesday night, uh, it was also notable while the uh, Manchester United Brighton penalty shootout was taking place. The FAI Intermediate Cup final also was uh, was taking place at the at the showgrounds in Sligo. One all draw during the game. But uh, I happened to watch the stream of the uh, of the penalty shootout afterwards. It was fairly dramatic. It looked like uh, and it was between uh, sorry, Cockhill Celtic and uh, Rockmount, which, of course, uh, the latter of which produced Roy Keane and uh, in the end, and Rockmount retained the uh, the trophy, but uh, it was uh, it looked like Cockhill had it, um, and then there were a couple of penalty misses that turned it around. So dramatic enough there. But uh, in regards to Manchester City and Arsenal, um, a few weeks ago, heading into this, Paul, it seemed like um, you know Arsenal were picking up good momentum, but then the draw at Anfield seems to have uh, stalled that. Albeit you could regard it as a good point, but then. To follow it up with, uh, you know, giving up a two-goal lead at West Ham, and then what happened on Friday night against Southampton, it's fairly disastrous for them, and probably leaves them with a with a must-win essentially on Wednesday. Yeah, it certainly feels that way that they're they're going to have to go to Man City and win, not not only for the table, Raf, but just to kind of rebuild sort of confidence within the camp. I mean. I think it's fair enough to say that the wheels have fallen off since the result against uh, Liverpool haven't been in such a commanding position to then throw that lead away and to do similarly again against West Ham. Uh, you would have expected that they would have gone into Friday night against the team bottom of the table with a bit of confidence, put them to the sword, get your, your seven-point lead back intact um, over Man City and go into Wednesday night and just don't lose the game. But... I mean, the, the approach was was just off from, from the get-go. The mistake from Ramsdale is just unforgivable. And then you're seeing uncharacteristic errors from, from members of that squad that have just been superbly consistent all throughout the season. And they gave themselves too much to do. I mean, the obvious sort of 
weakness in the squad is is to look at the the lack of strength and depth that they have in the back four. Um, my concern was always going to be whether it would be Thomas Partey or Saliba or um, Gabriel. If one of them was to get injured, that it would hamper them at some point during the season. And that seems to be the case. And it's it's not fair to put all of that on Rob Holden because he's he's doing his best, but there is a noticeable drop off between himself and Saliba and the mistakes against Liverpool, there was mistakes against West Ham and even the other night I thought there was mistakes if you look at the the third goal he hasn't gone and attacked the ball and it's a, it's a flick on and it's an easy kind of tap in from there and they're just conceding way too many goals right now and that will be a massive concern when you're going in to face a team who just can't seem to stop scoring goals and that matchup between Haaland and Holding on, on Wednesday night is, is going to be an interesting one to see because on current form, Haaland is absolutely firing on all cylinders. And I would say Rob Holding's confidence is very, very delicate. Um, so I I don't see Man City not winning that game. I think they're they're just rolling from game to game now. There's so much confidence in that squad. It doesn't matter who they go up against. They seem to be they seem to be beating them, whether it be Bayern Munich, whether it be Sheffield United in the FA Cup. The approach is always the same, the professionalism is always the same. And they've hit one of these streaks of form where it doesn't really matter who they're playing against, they just seem like they're gonna win. Yeah, Anthony, I think that's the sort of thing that's looming large here, probably even for Arsenal. It's just this imposing, just how imposing Manchester City are. Like, I mean, the City wobbled a little bit earlier in the season, hence why they're this far back um, heading into this uh, this big game. Obviously, they have a couple of games in hand, but it, maybe if Arsenal were coming up against any other opponent in a title race, maybe they would be a little bit less nervous. But the fact that there's Haaland scoring goals, City have this experience of, um, winning titles over the last wee while, and they're just uh, you know both tactically and in technically just uh, top of the tree. It, uh, it maybe that might actually affect them. Well, th- this is what City have done to the league. Like Arsenal, if you just look at it in isolation, they are five points clear at the top of the table, and they've still to play Manchester City. But there seems to be along <laughs> among a lot of the Arsenal fan base this this resignation. That it's gone, it's gone, it's over because Manchester City are this unbelievable juggernaut. And they've watched, like, we've watched Liverpool get 99 points, I think, 98, 99 points, and, and not win the league. Um, and it does seem like sometimes, like, there's Arsenal remind me a little bit of Liverpool in 2013, 2014, when it was very emotional. The, the whole thing was really emotional. And I think, I don't know if you can win a, a league like that when you're driven by emotion you actually kind of have to be robotic like Manchester City are robotic and by the way we're only going into the run-in now this is the run-in the last seven or eight games like you, we've heard this about in February we're in the title race and you know that's what happens the Arsenal can't control that that's a, a media thing where everything's hyped up and every match is hyped up but realistically this is the run-in and Arsenal do look as Paul said they just start they look a little tired mentally, you know, the pressure, it, it gets to you, it gets to you. And players who've been fantastic all season start to make uncharacteristic mistakes, uh, are picking up a couple of injuries uh, and City are just hitting their stride. Now, they've been here before as well. And, and that's the thing that makes you think at this point, maybe sitting can actually kick on and win this fairly comfortably. But then again, like if Arsenal go and win at the Etihad, not impossible. Not beyond them, they're eight points clear. You know they're eight points clear. So absolutely massive game. Looking forward to it. It's, it's huge. But um, I think yeah, look, it, it, it kind of sense if City do win it, 
Um, and they are, you know, they are also capable of just blowing Arsenal away because they're capable of doing that to anybody. Um, then they could wrap this up with a game or two to spare. You know, it's there is that kind of feeling about it. Yeah, and David, you've been there in terms of title races, um, especially in that era when your Dundalk team would have been coming up against Cork City. Um, and it was interesting, it was just before the Southampton game, they were doing a segment on Sky with Aaron Ramsdale where he went to, a, he was at a charity that just involves dogs, which is something like he's uh, he's very interested in. But they asked him about, uh, you know, the sense of tension because he's been at the other end in terms of battling against relegation. And now he's experiencing a title race for the first time. And he said, um, he felt more tension when it came to a relegation battle than he does in a title race. Didn't really come across in the five minutes, first five minutes against Southampton, in fairness, given it was his uh, his past that sort of led to uh, the problems at the back. But um, in your experience, uh, does that sense of tension kind of creep in at this point of the season as you get towards those kind of last five or six games? Yeah, I think Arsenal have obviously been on top for so long and... Um... But yet, there's, there's, you know, the main pundits out there on Sky are still predicting Man City are going to win. And when you just know what a juggernaut Man City can be, I think um, that obviously puts doubts in Arsenal's mind. Um, the funny bit about that game, obviously I didn't get to see it being an RT on, on Friday, but uh, watching the highlights back, I kind of had to flick and think, what a terrible two-point shot by Southampton. Like a team who are... Uh, who are a win would have been absolutely massive for them, really giving them a real hope of survival. And every bit of talk was about uh, how it had affected Arsenal. In fairness to Arsenal being 3 1 down to come back and nick the point, uh, might might end up being absolutely huge. But from Southampton's end to have been ahead, you know, 3 1 with, you know, what, two minutes left on the clock and out of time, and to end up only getting a point, um, yeah, can't imagine how devastated they would have been, what a, what a big win it would have been for them and a chance to survive. Um, obviously they still can but you know that certainly didn't help but from Arsenal's perspective going into it I think they you know it's been mentioned now the kind of the wheels have fallen off and all of that and I think that again it's just they're still five points ahead but because Man City are just so so good everybody predicts they're going to win every game between now and the end of the season and the same run in with Liverpool a couple of years ago that's exactly what they did you just can't see them dropping points but um, Arsenal by no way out of it you know they've got to just regroup and they could still go to the Etihad and, and lose the game uh, and still win the title. So they've just got to try and get their form back, start winning games, and they can still score goals. They've shown that in, in you know in those last three games that they've drawn, they've still scored a lot of goals. So as Paul said, they've got to tighten it up at the back. And I'd be interested to see if it is Rob Holding that plays over the next couple of weeks or whether maybe Kieran Tierney comes in and maybe plays in the centre-half position or something. But um, they're definitely lacking options there and lacking depth. So... Um, which yeah, it, it makes for a really intriguing, you know, last six or seven games in, in the Premier League. Yeah, and you know, I think we're, we 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 can be uh, maybe forgiven for looking at teams in terms of them being a hive mind. So you know, you talk about the confidence of a certain team like Arsenal or Man City being a juggernaut, but like there's all these different personalities within the team, and obviously there's leaders, there's maybe others who are not. Um, and then also, well, as you as we, I think we've said, you know, you can be in danger looking at the, what the other team is doing. And I wonder in your time, like, were you looking at Cork City's results or even paying much attention? Or was it actually better to sort of just almost kind of have a blinkered view and just be almost fully focused on what you, you yourselves were doing um, in those those particular title battles? Yeah, I think you're first and foremost, you're just fully focused on your own games and making sure you're winning. Uh I remember even in 2014, I was actually picked up an injury, so I missed the run-in. But like we, I think we 
drop points in two game, two of our last three games to actually hand the opportunity over to Cork to win the title. And we were lucky we played them on the last day. And I think we went in a point behind. And um, but you obviously have one eye on the results. You know, you know that if you have to keep winning, but um, if your opposition is dropping points, that's all the better. And um, so yeah, you, you're always mindful of of other teams' results. That goes throughout the season. I mean, first thing most players do when they finish a game is go in and see what other results happened around the league and. Um, if you know someone's going to be your title challenge, you're always happy to see them dropping points. Yeah, uh, I suppose a final point, Paul, um, in regards to say if Arsenal do what is being built up as being the impossible of going to the Etihad and beating Manchester City and then going eight points clear, albeit with City having uh, two games in hand, there is still, I suppose, when you look at Arsenal's form overall, and as you said, you know, defensively they're they're leaking goals, which you can't really be doing at this stage of the season if you're going for a title. And they still have to play like Newcastle United away. We saw what Newcastle did to Spurs um, on Sunday. There is a real um, possibility that they could beat City and then still <laughs> drop enough points that uh, City come back and uh, hit them towards the end. That that would be the concern. That <clears throat> if you if you take the City game. Uh, kind of an isolation out of it. There's probably opportunities there that they they could drop points. I mean, they have to play Chelsea in a, in a London derby, and then they have to play Newcastle away, and then Brighton at home. And Brighton are absolutely flying. Like I thought, they were really unlucky against Manchester United yesterday, and their performances have been really good over the last number of weeks. I saw them um, against Tottenham, and they were very unlucky to lose that game as well. So there's still difficult games. For, for Arsenal to play and then they finish off against two teams who could well be involved in a relegation scrap in Nottingham Forest and Wolves so it's it's not a foregone conclusion that once you go past Man City that Arsenal are going to pick up maximum points on kind of current performances and some of the the weaknesses or maybe drops in confidence that we've seen in the squad there are opportunities for Arsenal to to drop more points after Wednesday night but listen we could say the same about Manchester City as well they've got a, a huge number of games to to juggle I fully believe that the Champions League is the focus within that squad and um, they've got a really difficult double header against Real Madrid to contend with as well and yes they have a superb squad but it could take one bad performance or to get knocked out of the Champions League that could really maybe shake that squad up and maybe that would distract them from the Premier League as well so yeah it's all all indicators Raf at this moment in time, are pointing towards a Man City treble. They just look that good. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see, kind of take it game by game. But if if Arsenal were to lose Wednesday night, I just think that would absolutely shatter the confidence of that squad and combine it with the three games that they've played previously. It would be a hard one to come back from. Yeah, but even with that, I suppose, Anthony, it'd be, I suppose it's the psychology of it where you have something that appears to be in your hand and then it sort of disappears. But overall, if you were to start the season... Um, you wouldn't think Arsenal were going to be title challengers yet. Here they are. Um, so it is a good season for them overall, even though it probably won't feel like that just because of the way it's actually going to pan out or not going to pan out. I'm not predicting the future, how it could pan out, I should say. Well, it, it is, of course, and it doesn't have to be the end, you know, if they don't win this league, because the age profile of their squad is 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 really good. They've got so many excellent young footballers they have a good coach a good young coach Arteta you know this is his first job he's, he's a rookie manager really and um, so he's improving as well all the time and if nothing else you know it's it's a major learning curve for them even if they don't win the league it's a great experience to actually go through this and and everything that comes with it you know I, I just think that like I think you're only this is the run-in as I said like we've what is it seven games they have left so 
you know, talk of like title races in December, January, February, it's it must be very exhausting for a team like Arsenal. Just cause and I think even when you see them how they've celebrated certain victories and you know the fan bases they, they haven't won the league in 20 years, is it something like that? Or, Nine, yeah, 19 at the moment, yeah. 19 not, not since the not since the Invincibles. So obviously desperate, you know, again, similarities to Liverpool. Um you kind of have to be a little colder, I think. And just to see, you know, Paul said they're, they're so good. Like they've been there, they've done it, they've done all this before. Nothing, none of this is new to them. But no, absolutely, Rafa. Like if Arsenal finished second, I think there was this debate before who would have had the better season if Manchester United finished third and win the Carabao Cup, would they have had a better season than Arsenal if Arsenal finished second? <laughs> but you know, the Arsenal are in a title race. You know, this stands to you. This stands to you. So there's no why, why can't they come back next year and maybe go one step further? It doesn't have to be this is their only chance. It's not like, again, Liverpool in 2014, they knew Suarez was going that season. So it sort of was the sense that this was a one-off, which it proved. Not, not, not so much with Arsenal. You know, so There's no reason why they can't hang on to those players. Maybe add again in the summer and give it another lash next year. Yeah, well, we'll see how that or how that pans out on Wednesday night anyway between City and Arsenal. And as I said earlier, we do have a live match on RT2 and RT Player, but it's next Monday and it's Derry City against uh, Shamrock Rovers. But all that is to come. But uh, David and Paul, thanks a million uh, for taking the time today. And Anthony Pine as well. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob.